360 degrees. High high, 360 degrees. High high, 306, 306, 360 degrees. High high. Hey, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates like myself of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone Territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. So happy Pride Month, people, and as the month nears its end, There are festivities planned around the Bay Area. And on tonight's show, we'll hear an interview with the executive director of the Rainbow Community Center of Concord. That's Kiku Johnson. And Kiku will share his story about growing up and coming out. And he will share some of the music that he loves. He'll bring us up to date on the Rainbow Community Center's Pride event as well. All that tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Free Will and Franklin, I'm coming to you from right here in downtown Antioch. This is Bay Miwok territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. Yes, again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. My name is Free Will and Franklin. I'm a graduate of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. And I will be your host tonight. And before we get started with the show tonight, I want to dedicate this full circle pride show to my cousin, Timothy Charles Lee. Many of you may know or may not know that in November of 1985, my cousin, Timothy Charles Lee, a young black gay man, was found hung in a tree at the Concord BART station. And although the neighbors living in the area say they heard screaming and people running and a car speed off, Timothy's death was ruled a suicide. Uh, Back then, I was in eighth grade when Timmy was killed, and I don't remember much about it at the time. The news and information was basically kept away from us, the youngest uh, folks in the family. But to this day, it's strange to me to realize that my cousin Timmy was actually lynched right here in Concord. Again, this was 1985. And even worse, like many of the cases that we see when stuff like this happens, Timmy's death was ruled a suicide, even in the face of contrary evidence. So tonight, I want to dedicate this full circle show to the memory of my beautiful cousin, Timothy Charles Lee, Also, along with his sister and brother, who have both passed on as well, Tammy Lee, who never gave up the fight for Timmy till the day she died, and Tommy Lee, Timmy's brother. Um, Both of them were really devastated by the senseless killing of Timmy, and they carried it with them their entire short lives. Uh, I'll post more uh, information about my cousin Timmy Lee's case on our website after the show tonight. 
and you can learn more about it. That's kpfaapprentice.org. All right, Timmy, Tommy, and Tammy, I'm going to move on with the show tonight uh, as we honor my cousin and cousins along with pride. I reached out to our friends at the Rainbow Community Center in Concord, and Rainbow Community Center builds community, equity, and well-being among lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, and intersex people and their allies. That's LGBTQIA+. They have been in operation since 1995, and since that time, they have been offering support and social opportunities to the LGBTQIA plus communities and its allies. And coming up next, you'll hear my conversation with the executive director, Kiku Johnson. Kiku uses the pronouns he, him, and is an intersectional queer Chinese trans man originally hailing from Michigan, but has called Oakland his home since 2004, where he has been living with his partner, there is so much to say about Kiku. He works with youth. He loves to dance. He's writing a book about his life and how he worked through the trauma of being a trans man in America. And tonight he's going to share part of his story and some of his favorite music. Welcome, Kiku. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing all right. Thank you for the invitation for conversation. Yes, definitely. And thanks for taking the time to join us on Full Circle and bring us up to date on what's going on. And I know I talked to you earlier and um, I'm kicking off the show tonight and dedicating it to my cousin who unfortunately was killed at the Concord BART station back in 1985. And like I said in the introduction, he was a black gay man. He was um, studying to be a fashion designer and um, he got stuck at the Concord BART station and it ended up costing him his life you're from around the bay area and you've been here for a while what are your reflections on my cousin's case the case of timothy charles lee and do you remember this case back in 85 well you know franklin i was a whole 12 years old when that happened and i was actually living in the midwest so i hail from michigan and i do know about the case just from being educated around community general having lived in the bay area for 20 years and also being in concord um, representing rainbow community center um, supporting the county um, that is a case that if people are not familiar with um, that would be a 101 education point for people to be aware of in terms of history um, in the bay and specifically in our county of contra costa so yes i'm familiar with the case um I don't even know if there's words to, to be able to capture um, the familiarity I have with it in terms of being appalled and just disgusted around, you know, thinking about that time and knowing I was coming of age and just intersectionally how much marginalized identities and community were feared. They continue to be feared, but definitely at that time, you know, holding any identity um, more than one just made you differently a target. So being a black man and then being queer or gay, um, in Timothy's case, you know, I can only imagine how he had to walk through the world. And again, in different spaces in the Bay Area, I think we often feel that the Bay Area is a mecca or a, a place of arrival. I know that's how I 
thought about it growing up in the Midwest of, you know, this is where queer community and I use queer as a reclaiming and an affirming word. And I know generationally that shows up differently for many of us. And I like to affirm that um, I think his life was not seen as valued um, in terms of who he was at the time. And I do think he was targeted. I am familiar with what other activities were happening that evening, um, just a few hours before, and KKK members, the Ku Klux Klan, that were known to have um, harmed at least two other Black identified individuals at a local local Concord bar. Um, And just other aspects around um, the facts of the case, knowing that um, folks were trying to state that this was a suicide. And in fact, um, he had called for a ride home. He had communicated beforehand. Um, He didn't have any indicators of depression or mental health issues at play. Um, He was someone that was, by all accounts, very happy in his life. And um, I think that this, unfortunately, as we look at how media and the news and probably culture, additionally at the time, to embrace and hold up a young Black gay man, um, even thinking about the AIDS epidemic that was really starting to take hold and just knowing our administration at the time politically and how just queer people in general, and especially gay cisgender men, were not being valued um, and being blamed and treated in ways around um, what was going on around AIDS um, as if they were pariah and not worth their lives. So, you know, I could say a whole lot more. um, So I'm really grateful that Um, I've gotten to be introduced to you, Franklin, and to know that you have connection. Obviously, as a family member, I can only imagine what you've been holding throughout this time around justice and, again, in good name and life of your cousin. Um, So it is something that is a legacy piece um, that I consider part of the history of Concord, which is where Rainbow Community Center does call its main brick-and-mortar home. Um, So that is part of the history that I think is important that gets shared as much as possible. Well, thank you for those words, Kiku. I appreciate it. But um, the listening audience of KPFA has not got to know you very well. Um, You started to talk about where you come from. So let me start to get to know you myself and let the listening audience get to know you. Tell us again where you're from and what it was like growing up for you and, and coming to the Bay Area. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's been an interesting path, I think, like many folks that um, may identify out as transgender and or intersectionally. I'm someone who is a transgender male um, as I live my life now in present day. And I feel very fortunate that I'm able to choose to be an out transgender person. Um, Given the, the role I'm in, with Rainbow, it is part of education that I'm committed to in sharing my identity out loud. And people, for a lot of times, come to me as perhaps the first transgender person that they're aware of meeting. Um, so for me, growing up in Michigan, um, I came to the planet in 1973. So I'm looking forward to celebrating five decades next year. And for me, growing up in small towns in Michigan, and I moved around 
think at one point I counted upwards of 30 plus times by the time I was 30. I just experienced a lot of movement. Um, and so what that created for me was not a lot of rooting, not a lot of connection to community, um, a lot of apprehension around belonging. Um, and that's before even showing up as someone who is Chinese as well. Um, having a mother who immigrated here from Hong Kong um, in the early 70s and a white father who grew up in Detroit um, actually came of age during the Detroit riots. Um, it was a very interesting coming together for me, having parents that um, had the experiences they did and how that informed culture in our home and values. Um, and what I was informed around fearing and being cautious around. So, you know, I grew up in a fairly white, homogenous community, working class for the most part, even in the movements around the state of Michigan, including the Upper Peninsula, which is a whole other culture itself. Um, and my time growing up was very awkward, very challenging, very much the center of a lot of bullying um, by other young people and adults in community. And that is something that really, I think, was formative for me around just trauma in general. I think coming of age in the 80s for myself, you know, you mentioned your beloved cousin, Timothy Lee, and we chatted a little bit about that and kind of how he, as we believe, was targeted and harmed and killed. Um, I came of age as an Asian person in the early to mid 80s with the murder of Vincent Chin. Um, a Vietnamese Chinese individual. And, you know, growing up in the Motor City and having all these big car um, companies and unions, you know, that was kind of my milieu. And looking at justice and not seeing people who looked like me in community, and right now we're just talking about race, um, but seeing different ways in which that was portrayed in a film, you know, anything from, I've talked about um, David Carradine playing uh, an Asian person in um, Shaolin, um, China, and also looking at um, 16 Candles as a movie at the time and having characters like Long Duck Dong to, um, you know, even a film about the car industry with Michael Keaton and just seeing how the Japanese culture is portrayed. You know, that was kind of what was around me that I could access, not a lot of reflection in other ways. So to see a young man um, like Vincent Chen get beat and killed um, by white identified, and this is all auto workers, um, a lot of dissent and resentment around um, Asian folks and not even knowing where they came from, but just that they existed and that they were working in the car industry in that case. Um, that informed a lot of my feeling of understanding the value of me as an Asian person coming up in the 70s and 80s in a very different part of the country. And I bring that in because I think about being someone who's also queer identified and being able to access what it meant to be gay. Just that word gay, for example, wasn't something that either was portrayed as a positive thing. Um, and it was mostly imbued with male, cisgender male individuals. And again, the media was all I had access to growing up. It was channels 247, 20 and 50. So I had a handful of um, ways in which to see images, to be communicated what was going on politically and also just socially in communities. Um, so for me, I think the intersectionality was so key even before the late 80s when Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw coined the term intersectionality. 
um, where in which also in the last handful of years, she has also coined the phrase critical race theory. You know, and I'm so grateful to scholars, you know, her being a black lesbian in community. I'm so grateful for folks like that because they brought me visibility. They brought me understanding that not just being challenged with my racial identity, but also being held and affirmed for my exploration of at that time, all I understood was, I don't think I'm straight. Um, and sexuality is one thing. I think gender identity, as we've come to learn more so as a society, is a whole other thing, not to be conflated. And I think when you hear LGBTQIA+, and all the different variations of that acronym, we often think about sexuality as a first and foremost. And so I grappled, I believe, at the time with gender identity. And for me, there weren't a lot of options or language words to attach to other than I'm gay. And so I think that reluctantly, that was my choice in the early 90s as I started to leave my high school years and head into higher education in different settings. Um, that was a lane that I could find community. Um, was the lesbian community at the time as someone who was assigned and assumed female at birth in the early 70s. That was really my journey was to find my queer identity. And so I've had the lovely opportunity to come out twice in my life, first as a lesbian and then as a transgender male just in the last five years. Well, let me interrupt you real quick. Um, thank you for sharing your your story because a lot of times we don't talk about the intersectionality about race and then how you want to identify and what you're you're learning about yourself. But in the United States here, um, we as a culture haven't really embraced you know uniformly that there's multiple variations out there and that it's just a natural thing in the environment, you know, and mm -hmm. we have attached a stigma to it. Like you talked about, you didn't even have a lot of um, words to identify what you were feeling. So we've attached this stigma to the word gay or to um, queer out here in the United States. Um, how did that affect you growing up? And then as you go on with your story, can you tell us about how old you were, if you don't mind, when you felt like you knew something was kind of different between the feelings in your body and your spirit and then the body that you were inhabiting? It's a beautiful way to ask that question. Thank you, Franklin. Um, yeah, to speak to the first part of what you're saying, yeah, the lack of language is monumental. You know, it's a way in which we express, we attach, we are able to communicate who we are in our culture and society here, for sure. So to have such limited language, like even the word lesbian, I can't even tell you that I knew that word at the age of 18. It truly was centered around that three-letter word of gay. And I knew to stay as far away from that word as possible. Everything messaged to me from even my classmates to other adults. And like I said, the media, everything that was connected to gay or portrayed was making fun of. Um, demoralizing, devaluing, um, that these folks were less than, and they were always men. So I had no concept of people that were assumed female at birth having any sort of storyline around being queer or gay um, and lesbian in that case. Of, you know, that is something that's also when you ask about when did I come to know a little bit more around how I felt different than perhaps the dominant narrative or culture that was around me. You know, I have to say, 
probably from the very moment I can have memories and I remember just bucking and not wanting to wear um, female clothing or traditional girls' dresses um, or wanting to be feminine in a certain way or taught mannerisms or acumen of like what it's becoming of an Asian girl to show up in the world. I mean, that extra intersection of what does it mean to be also a demure Chinese girl? You don't speak authority as the male in, in the spaces that you're in. And um, that was just so challenging for me. I think also being a mixed race individual growing up in a very specific time, a lot of the culture was not being braced around um, knowing your own ethnicity and race and identity and how that history has been there. So for me, it was truly um, trying to assimilate. And even my own mother was forcing that, not wanting to teach me Cantonese, um, punishing me for seeking that um, in community. Uh, I think desperately she wanted to be validated as producing children that were going to um, contribute to society, being be seen as more affirming than her, more intelligent, less with an accent. Obviously, you can hear me speaking. I don't have an Asian accent. If you're listening to me on the air, you would probably never think that I was Asian. Um, and that has its own exquisite bind um, coming of age. But in terms of my gender and sexuality, I think sexuality was what was masked as if you were queer in any way, it was about your sexuality. And I think as a young person, I didn't identify with sexuality. I wasn't feeling attraction. I wasn't thinking about sex. Definitely not at three and four years old. Um, I was someone who I was very fortunate to not have to intersect sex or deal with sexual abuse or molestation or, you know, what a lot of people also um, have to manage in terms of trauma in their life. So that was not introduced to me in that way. It was really those traditional gender roles of, you know, boys could, could play on sports teams and take their shirts off and it could be skins and shirts. And I think that became a determining point in my young age where I was told you can't take your shirt off. And I was like, why? You know, it's before puberty, you know, I wasn't connected to what does it mean to have genitalia that is again, assumed female. Um, I didn't have that relationship. I was very much a traditional tomboy. Growing up in the Midwest, I wanted to hang with my brother who was younger than me. I wanted to be with my dad. I wanted to shoot hoops. And, you know, those are stereotypes that I could say boys do sports. And we know that's not true. I just think at the time, the framing for me was, you know, within my family and values of this is what boys do and how they look. And this is what girls do and how they look. And then the layer of being Asian on top of that. Um, so I would say for me, without the language, I knew when I was a really young child, probably from the moment I started to discern and adults were starting to tell me that I needed to be identifying as a girl. And I just could not feel comfortable or affirmed um, with everything from dress to language um, to values. And so that was definitely three to four years old. I can point out distinct memories of um, feeling uncomfortable with what was being laid upon me and expected to all the way through elementary school, middle school, it just became worse and worse around how I was treated for my quote unquote tomboyness and my boy's clothes and my short haircuts um, and my darker skin. And uh, 
again, it's just growing up in a white homogenized community. It, it was something that nobody was talking about homosexuality um, in a positive way anywhere. Um, so again, stayed away from it. When did you feel comfortable enough to just come out to your family or publicly even and just say, you know what, this is actually who I am and how I'm going to identify? Well, I'd say college years, I think getting out of my home and being in a different setting wow. with folks right. that are my age. So yeah, 18 years old, probably around 19. I took a year in college where I really leaned hard in Christianity and was part of Bible groups and retreats and um, had a, a lesbian move into my freshman year hall residentially and watched all of my Christian um, hallmates and group members pretty much treat them like they were a pariah. Everything from the bathroom where we had shared bathroom use, people not wanting to be in the bathroom at the same time, being afraid that this person was going to prey on them, to um, not talking to them and building community. Um, they felt very ostracized. And I did a lot of contemplation. That was a really aha moment for me of like, wow, this beautiful human being Nobody's getting to know them and they are being treated as if they are a sinner and they have no right to exist in the format that they were showing up. And um, within, I would say, the next six months, I came out. Um, a lot of that had to do with traveling. It was a, a point for me and a goal to leave the state of Michigan and have exposure in other ways. And for me, that was residential day camp programs in the summer. And I would say that pretty much saved my life. I got to meet other people from different parts of the country, different different countries around the world. And I got to meet other queer people that could message to me, it's okay. And in fact, this is a celebrated life. Um, and this is 1994 is where I kind of came into a space of, I'm meeting other people that have these feelings and expressions gender-wise. Well, I'm so glad that it finally happened for you there and that you were able to, you know, to hang on because as we know, um, not everybody makes it through those, those points in their life. And that's what we're going to talk about coming up. If you're just joining us here on full circle, that is the voice of my special guest, Kiku Johnson. Um, he is the executive director of the rainbow community center in Concord and my special guest tonight celebrating Pride Month and going into the big weekend. And coming up, um, one of Kiku's expertise is is providing um, an affirming environment and, and what that can do for somebody growing up and how that helps. But we're going to take a short music break. Kiku, you're my special guest tonight, and you brought along some songs. What song would you like to go to for our first music break tonight? Yeah, let's kick it off with a local group, um, the Alphabet Rockers of the Bay Area, progressive social justice group, um, and the song We Royal, a lot of good education in those lyrics. All right, we'll be right back on KPFA. The Liberators start with T-A-Z, the game changes, the ones who need, the curious, the lonely races, brain party, give up ever, no finish to what we started. Standing up for incarcerated sisters Didn't really care if you called them mister 
good and miss them. Miss Major. They are mother, father, daughter, son, killer, mender. But above all that, transgender. Coach, keep a love seeker. Lifting up all that people just like a chest. Who was leading all of Egypt on the regal? Queen and male clothes, plus a pharaoh. One of the greatest wonders of yesterday, today, tomorrow. The liberators start with T A Z. The game changes. The ones who lead. The curious, the lion races, brain hearted. Finish to what we started in every culture, everywhere, ever since. The mood makers, the world quit. Your neighbors, your children, it's probably hard to read it. Believe it when you see it. All right, welcome back. You're listening to Full Circle right here on 94.1 KPFA, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. My name is Freewell and Franklin. I'm your host tonight, and I have my special guest, Kiku Johnson, the executive director of the Rainbow Community Center. Kiku, tell us about that song you just chose for us. Yeah, the Alphabet Rockers, local Bay Area group, um, social justice, very progressive in their lyrics to help elevate um, awareness and education around, in this particular song, We Royal. Um, around our transgender leads and community intersectionally, our folks of color, um, some with us on the planet and some not. Um, but love that the lyrics kind of just back to back, learning about individuals. So um, hopefully you found somebody in there that you were like, oh, didn't know that name. And you were able to look that up and understand kind of how they've contributed to our movement and our progress as queer folks. Thank you, Kiku, for providing our music tonight. we got a couple more coming up later in the show. But let's move on in our conversation because we talked about how it was for you growing up and um, the stigma that's attached to, um, you know, growing up in the LGBTQIA plus community and how our culture, um, you know, really isolates those folks. And this is something I spoke about with your colleague, Kelly Ferguson, and that is uh, some of the numbers that come out of the Trevor Project's national survey on LGBTQ um, youth mental health. And they say that 45% of the LGBTQ youth seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year. 73% of youth reported experiencing symptoms of anxiety and 58% of LGBTQ youth reported experience experiencing symptoms of depression. 
And we know these numbers can be dramatically reduced when the kids grow up in a supporting, affirming environment. And this is one of your areas of expertise is working with young people and providing that affirmation to what they're going through and what they're feeling. And I, I feel like in other words, you're helping foster a supportive, caring environment. And that's what we all need to thrive. So talk about these numbers and how through a supportive, caring, affirming environment, these numbers can be reduced. Yeah, thank you, Franklin. And the Trevor Project is um, such an important resource in our community. So folks that are not familiar, um, that is our go-to. So the trevorproject.org that's been around since the mid-90s. Um, you named the first statistic there, which is uh, sobering, again, isn't even enough of a word. But 45% of LGBTQ youth seriously considering attempting suicide in the past year. And we're talking about the pandemic. It has shot up. You know, Trevor Project has done research from three months into the pandemic to a year in. And that 45%, something to really elevate around that, that of that 45%, nearly one in five transgender and non-binary youth attempt suicide. I want to call out and in those two particular identities because those are our most marginalized identities within our community, and especially the youth community, our transgender and our non-binary youth. Um, and to know that nearly one in five attempted suicide, knowing that 45% of LGBTQ youth considered, but knowing that one in five trans and non-binary youth attempted. So I'm one of those folks, you know, there was a solid 12 year period there from age 10 into my early twenties that I was actively harming myself. I was very suicidal, depressed. I was committed to a facility for a short amount of time. Um, due to that depression and attempts on my own life. So there's a very marked connection for me around knowing what this feels like. But knowing what those statistics are that you named, and even 60% of LGBTQ youth want mental health care, but we're not able to access it. Um, that's not a stat that you shared, but it's one that I think is so key when we're connecting to what does Rainbow Community Center do? How do we respond in community? And we are the only LGBTQIA plus center and resource named as such in the whole county of Contra Costa. We have five mental health clinicians. They can carry a caseload anywhere between 10 to 20. 20 would be on the extreme high end, um, creating burnout for a clinician. And I name those numbers too, because when we think about 60% wanting 60% of queer youth that actually can say, I need to have some support. And we know there's a bevy of youth that can't even get to that point um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but knowing that 60% couldn't even access that where they are, um, those pieces of information inform us so deeply about how much we are not showing up as a society, as a community, as services and systems to recognize, again, that intersection of youth and what does that mean to developmentally grow up in our society to being queer and then knowing that um, youth of color on top of that report higher rates than one in five attempting suicide so we know that we're showing up for trying to outreach to as many youth as we can and to show up for that wait list that we have um, so building out our youth program has been so key in starting younger 
to affirm and acknowledge our young people is so important. And looking at having the first pride prom in the county was something we partnered with um, PFLAG, Clayton and Concord chapter, just a few months ago to realize 103 juniors and seniors, 16 to 19 year olds in, in the county representing over 12 schools coming and having an evening that never has been offered before or able to happen in this county. Um, that was tremendous. Tell us uh, real quick, what is the um, what is that event that you put on? Describe it for us so we know. Yeah, uh, a pride prom. To be able to have a prom experience, which, you know, is rite of passage in so many of our um, lives as part of culture growing up in this country. A prom is not even something that I was a part of um, in my 17, 18-year-old time in high school. And um, to be able to offer that differently, to have a safe space where young people can come and express and be exactly who they are, not be caught up in the trappings of systems of having to have ways that you show up in a heteronormative um, a way in terms of having a date that is the opposite gender um, and sexuality, perhaps in ways being embraced differently. We wanted to create that space. And I think as a young person put it so well, it's magical to be able to come to a space and know that you belong and that it was built for you. We've been able to stay connected to many of those youth that have funneled into a new program we've created called Team Fierce, which is year round for um, transitional age youth and high school age youth that complements our first ever queer day camp in the county, which is called Camp Fierce. And that's happening the last two weeks in July. We're doing these connection points with our youth programming so that it's not a one and done, one tap experience, but how can we stay connected because of these very steps that you're talking about? Um, even 73% of youth um, having experienced discrimination based on their sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression, um, they're reporting that. And, and we're in a sheltered time these last two and a half years. So it I've seen the discrimination and hate that comes across on screens um, as an adult through and for young people as well. Um, there's just a lot of fear and need for education. Um, so that's some of what we've been doing to raise up our young people. All right. Yeah. Thanks for that excellent expansion on the, the pride prom Kiku and you know, how supporting the youth actually does make a difference. And I want to take it to another level now because sometimes we see that leaders in the community aren't always supportive. And we saw that with, um, I believe, President Trump, who wasn't a very supportive president. And I recently ran into my city councilwoman, Tamisha Torres Walker, District 1, which is my district, and uh, the mayor of Antioch, Lamar Thorpe, and we recently raised the pride flag before pride month even after one of our local bloggers who runs one of the um the antioch herald out here made a transphobic uh, post on one of his social medias so we have raised a pride flag for the year and um, here's what our mayor had to say and then followed by tamisha torres walker well as you know we didn't raise it in june we raised it way before that and we're going to keep it raised until the end of the year, December 31st. Uh, and the reason for that is because we recognize that uh, particularly our transgender uh, young people uh, need to feel welcome in this community. They need to feel like uh, they're valued in this community. We know that suicide rates are high for transgender teens. Uh, and so it's important for us as a city to 
uh, be bold in our actions to ensure that everybody understood that this is a place that, that uh, any anti-LGBTQ uh, activity would not be tolerated or welcome. And so that's why we did what we did. Uh, and I want Antioch to be a place where people feel like they can be who they are and be in this community and be respected. Uh, and so, you know, I come from a home of many of a diverse community. As you know, I was, you know, uh, raised in foster care. So I have brothers and sisters who, some who are, are Italian, some who are Mexican, some who are biracial, whatever. I also have two gay brothers uh, in my family. And so I'm exceptionally proud of them. And I, and I want them to know that, that um, who they are is who they are. And they're, they're accepted. And heck, when they're in the city of Antioch, they're, they're, they're welcome to be who they want to be. All right. Thank you very much, Mayor Thorpe. Thank you. I think was more what's even more important than raising the pride progress flag is actually doing something to continue to protect people in this community from discrimination from harassment and from being othered and so I think raising the pride progress flag for the entire year is a start all right. Yeah. Welcome back. This is Franklin, Free Will and Franklin, right here on Full Circle. And that was my District 1 representative. You just heard, Tamisha Torres Walker. And before that was Mayor Lamar Thorpe. This is the Antioch City Council and Mayor um, Kiku. Talk about what it feels like to have um, supportive leaders in your community and what that could mean to young people or just anybody in the LGBTQI plus community um, to see that from our leaders. Yeah, you know, Franklin, what I love about what you just shared is that we're very familiar with that. Um, actually, it's the intersex progress pride flag that was raised in um, Antioch, and I believe that was it was earlier in the month of May, even maybe even in late April. I'm trying to recall, because our board president of Rainbow, Robin Kuslitz, um, grew up in Antioch and actually brought that flag. We made sure to get that flag to them so that they could raise it for that purpose. So we had heard about these comments and sentiments. And like you said, it makes such an impression when those things are shared out loud and there isn't a counter voice coming in to be able to say, you know, this is going to harm our young people. It's going to harm our community um, in terms of that being able to ride you know and i think about even the history of Antioch again it would be hard for me not to mention as a chinese person kind of what happened over 100 years ago with the chinese population and the othering um, and when we fear things and when we fear them we hate them sometimes is how it, it progresses into so to be able to see the intersex pride progress flag and its year anniversary this came from the uk from an intersex individual that looked at the progress pride flag and said, you know what, intersex folks are so silenced and not seen. And so that addition of that purple circle and that yellow triangle is a version of the intersex flag itself integrated in. So actually Antioch has the most progressive, most recent flag flying year round. So that in itself, when I'm a young person driving by or walking by, I see something up there, there's no words attached to it. It tells me that there are officials and leaders in my city that value and understand and are educated about who I am and are standing up for me. And that is tremendous um, in terms of mental health, people feeling like they belong, feeling like that they are not being othered. It is proven that even in schools, if there is the announcement of a Gender and Sexualities Alliance, a GSA, that the rates of suicidal ideation at that school go down dramatically, even if nobody attends, 
that GSA just by announcing it. So I'm just thinking about the power of symbolism and statements and allyship. They go a long way that you can't see the impact, but it is there. And as a trans person, it matters to me to know a city like Antioch is choosing to value and counter statements that have been made that are transphobic. Definitely. Um, so powerful, powerful. Well, thank you. I'm proud to be out here. I'm proud that flag is flying here. And to be fair, I edited um, Mr. Lamar Thorpe's um, comments per time, and he did talk about um, what happened to the Chinese community out here and also that this was a sundown town that African-Americans um, were not welcome here as well. So he did bring that up, uh, just so you know. And um, Kiku, uh, we're going to take another short music break. It's your call again. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about what Rainbow Community Center has been doing um, for Pride Month and what people can catch up with Rainbow Community Center uh, tomorrow, uh, Saturday, for your event. So what's your next song? Well, I'm going to put out Little Nas X um, for folks that may know of him. He's a, a gay, cisgender, black man that's in his early 20s in community that has been just coming out bold in who he is. And he has a song called That's What I Want to embrace um, queer love and him as a black man. Um, so I'm just really grateful that we can have that be shared. So enjoy. All right. Thank you, Kiku Johnson. We're at KPFA 94.1 FM. This is Full Circle. We'll be right back. Meet a boy, you can cuddle with me all night. Give me one, let me long, be my sunlight. Tell me lies, we can argue, we can fight. Yeah, we did it before, but we'll do it tonight. Yeah, that fro black boy with the gold teeth. Your dark skin looking at me like you know me. I wonder if you got the G or the B. Let me find out and see you coming over to me. I'm stressing at night, be like you'll be okay and everything's alright. Uh, let me in nothing cause I'm not wanting anything. But you're loving your body and a little bit of your brain. These days are way too long. I'm missing out, I know. These days are way too long. And I'm not forgiving love away, but Right. Welcome back to Full Circle right here on KPFA 94.1 FM, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. And that was Little Nas X. Um, Kiku, tell us about that song again and why you chose it. Well, I am hopefully if people have an opportunity to also see the video, um, you know, just the visibility of a black um, gay man being able to embrace who he is and being in the music industry and heralded and held up the way he has. 
been. It, I think it's so important that people are seeing that representation, especially Black folks and community folks of color, um, to be able to see someone like their own be representing for them. So, so I, I'm just grateful. I particularly am a fan of hip hop, and um, it matters to me. I love dancing. Um, so that's a particular tune that gets me going. All right. And uh, just a reminder, uh, Kiku has been picking the music breaks tonight and we'll have links to the videos and to the Rainbow Community Center on our website just after the show tonight. And that's kpfaapprentice.org. All right, Kiku, we're just running out of time here and I want to um, wrap up things tonight with what Rainbow Community Center has been doing for Pride Month and what people can catch tomorrow. Um Saturday, June 25th. Yeah. So we started out June 1st with uh, many a, a pride flag raising. A lot of those progress pride flags, intersex progress pride flags um, around the county at district offices, at city halls, um, from Concord to Clayton to Mount Diablo Unified. Um, and we know that we have all of our cities pretty close at this point that are raising the flag. So it's always a really great opportunity to be out and to see that happen to interact with, like you were talking about earlier, leaders in communities, school officials, um, folks from city councils um, that are really leaning in and want to know more about the symbolism and the representation. So we were able to do a couple events. Um, we have a great partnership with a brewery in Martinez, Del Seattle Brewing Company. Um, those two owners, Cielamar and Luis, are incredible advocates and reached out to us um, a year ago and said, hey, we want to be able to co-sponsor Pride with you. And they brewed a special beer called Always Pride. And they were able to give proceeds to Rainbow for our services and our community members. And that made a huge difference. So we were able to do something called Rainbow's Got Talent, which is what you mentioned earlier. Um, myself and my partner one night dreamed up on the couch because we were fans of America's Got Talent. Um, the difference with our um, program, this is the third year running first time in person that we did two Saturdays ago. We invited folks from community with different talents, everything from comedy to drag kings to drag queens to a seven-year-old performer dancing um, to being able to have singers that are pop singers in community, all queer identified folks and allies that wanted to just come share their talents on stage. And yeah, tomorrow is a huge day. Uh, we are going to be able to have, for the first time ever, a Clayton Pride Parade. We had uh, a couple dozen folks in Clayton that have been organizing over the last two years to get the Pride flag raised in their community for the first time in June of 2020. They were one of the last two cities in the county at that point to raise the flag. And yes, it was snatched down a couple times. There's definitely some folks that it's a little challenging for them to see more embracement and just affirmation of queer community. Um, but we continue to, to show up. And these community members decided, you know what, it's time to have a parade. So we're serving as a fiscal sponsor for their parade. And we're so excited. It's 10 a.m. starting in Main Street on um, Saturday morning. And we have a bevy of vehicles and performers in the parade. And we're going to have vendors as well and info tables and just to be able to gather in community again. So I know we're rivaling um, maybe a, a little bit longer standing parade that happens across the bridge in San Francisco. Um, and so we're encouraging folks that, you know, we're here in community local. So if you find yourself near or in Clayton, come on by. 
um, come get some rainbow swag. We have some really great things that we've um, ordered up and we have available just to, again, visibility and representation matters so much. So yeah, there's going to be the Clayton Pride Parade starting at 10 a.m., probably running for a couple hours, events and activities there. And then on Sunday, we have in Danville at the First Congressional Church, um, it's my first opportunity to give a sermon on Pride. So I will be there in person. I know that they have Zoom and also you are invited to come in person, anybody that's interested. Um, and that service will be at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. There's just a couple things in the hopper as we um, sadly round out the rest of June heading into next week. But again, we believe Pride is all year round. Definitely. And um, speaking of all year round, Rainbow Community Center does not quit and they go all year round. If people are interested in services or would like to volunteer or just somebody to talk to that is um, in their community that they're just maybe hearing about Rainbow Community Center for the first time, what's the best way to contact and to reach out or to follow on social media as well? Yeah, well, we're on all those handles. So if you look us up on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all those areas, you can get connected to um, kind of what's currently going on in photos and updates, articles. Um, we have quite a few writers on staff. We're able to write um, a column called All the Colors in the Pioneer paper. If you're interested in supporting Rainbow, getting involved with Rainbow, like you said, volunteering even for many of our programs, which I'll share a little bit about, you can go to rainbowcc.org. And our landing page, um, you can sign up for um, e-news. And we're not one of those groups that will blast your email box too much. It's maybe once, sometimes twice a month. That would be a special month. Um, so you can kind of know what events are coming up. We have a live calendar on our happenings tab. We can click on any day of the month. We have support groups that people can come to via Zoom right now because we are yet to move into our new space um, in middle of July. And we'll be having an opening in August for community. So we'll be publicizing that through our website and through our um, email sign-up list for people that are part of that. If you're interested in volunteering, um, we have a volunteer tab where you can fill out a quick questionnaire about your interests and you'll be able to have an informal interview and check out all these programs that you can be a part of. Everything from our food pantry delivery service to our queer community members' homes. A lot of them are older adults or immunocompromised and quite isolated and have been for the last few years um, because of this amazing pandemic. Um, we also have an older adults program um, for many of our seniors in community, many of our aging um, gay men who have lived through the pandemic of AIDS. Um, it's been quite a time for them as well, um, kind of having PTSD and loss as this pandemic has rolled on um, with COVID. So we have a lot of luncheons that we do with our older adults. We do walks, we do comedy shows. Um, there's a lot of ways that you can get involved with our older adults. We have HIV testing anonymously in education. Um, that happens that we'll continue to um, return to our center and we test with um, gonorrhea, chlamydia, hep C, all, again, all anonymous, um, including HIV. Um, we also have a very robust youth program that we talked about earlier that you can be involved in. Um, and we have training and education, which I really want to highlight. So if you work at any place, any sector, and you know your business or organization needs some good SOGI, sexual orientation, gender identity, and expression, orientation and training. We work with a lot of companies in the Bay Area, also out of state, 
internationally across the country. Zoom has allowed so much to be amplified around education, around our community. And we have um, our houseless transitional youth program, which is for many of our young people that are kicked out of their homes for being who they are exactly in community. So it's it's been a sad time during the pandemic. We've seen an influx and an increase of so many um, transitional age youth that are kicked out of their homes because of, again, just trying to embrace their identities. Um, and the last thing I'll mention is that we have a clinical program with our uh, mental health providers. So, you know, we're a pretty comprehensive one-stop shop service for the county. Um, we do our best to be able to meet the needs of many of our community members. So, so many ways to be involved. For sure, Kiku Johnson, plenty of ways to help and get involved with the Rainbow Community Center. Kiku, I really appreciate your time today for bringing Full Circle and KPFA up on the Rainbow Community Center of Concord and your Pride event for Saturday. Thank you very much again for taking the time for us tonight on Full Circle. Thank you, Franklin, and happy Pride, everybody. And that does bring us to the end of tonight's show. Remember, check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show tonight for pictures, archive shows, and important links and information related to tonight's show. Shout out to my special guest tonight, Kiku Johnson of Rainbow Community Center of Concord. And shout out to the Full Circle crew. Our executive producer is Miss M. Joy Moore is our production consultant and me, Free Will and Franklin. I am the technical director for this show, Full Circle, and I have also been your host tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, while you're out there, to please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA because up next is La Onda Bajita. Good night, everyone. <laughs>